Welcome back to the Hemingway list for book 13, chapter 12. What do you think of Pierre giving away money in this chapter? Compare him to the Pierre at the beginning of the book when he inherited his fortune. What do you think this is? Didn't I read that yesterday? Am I reading the wrong one? I think I was reading the wrong one. Book 13, chapter 13. My bad. Here we go. What do you think of the major in this chapter? Is he purely an instrument for comic relief or is there some substance to his complaints? What is your understanding of the mysterious force which takes over the French soldiers? Can it be explained or is Pierre correct in his feeling that it is inexpiable? We see a dead man at the end of the chapter being displayed at the church gate. Is this a message from the French or coincidence or just a bit of artistic license from Tolstoy? I think it's meant to be a bit of a artistic license with a kind of a, uh, what's the word, metaphor? Symbolism, maybe is a better word. Twisted Every Way said this, Oh man, the prisoners have to walk too. This doesn't sound like it's going to be good. I appreciated that Pierre cared about the sick man too, but nothing will come of it. FDLP once says, Sigh. Back to the real world where one's string belt is held as a status symbol to another's towel belt. I liked Tolstoy's use of the drumming to reinforce the mindlessness of the French soldiers now seem to succumb to in following and then doling out orders. Yeah, I liked how he compared it for Pierre. Pierre recognised that state that the French are in, in mindlessly obeying military orders, and he recognises it from the Russians, his own people. He's seen them in the same state. Warren Kovafifi says, Interesting how, like the flip of a switch, the French become robots and lose all their compassion for the Russian prisoners. A good way of showing how war can make the participants lose their humanity and do horrendous things. Yeah, that's the way it goes, isn't it? When you're a soldier, there's just a switch when you do your duty. Uh, I guess it kind of has to be like that in order to do your duty. Who knows what it would be like to be a soldier at war. I guess we can only really speculate. Unless some of us have actually done it, so you can do more than speculate. Um, all right, chapter 14 goes like this. Through the cross streets of the Kamovniki quarter, the prisoners marched, followed only by their escort and the vehicles and wagons belonging to that escort. But when they reached the supply stores, they came among a huge and closely packed train of artillery mingled with private vehicles. At the bridge, they halted, waiting for those in front to get across. From the bridge, they had a view of the endless lines of moving baggage trains before and behind them. To the right, where the Kulaga Road turns near Neskuvchny, endless rows of troops and carts stretched away into the distance. They were troops of Bohane's corps, which had started before any of the others. Behind, along the riverside and across the stone bridge, were Ney's troops and transport. Devout's troops, in whose charge were the prisoners, were crossing the Crimean Bridge, and some were already debouching into the Kaluga Road. But the baggage trains stretched out so that the Boharanais train had not yet got out of Moscow and reached the Kaluga Road when the vanguard of Ney's army was already emerging from the great Odnika Street. When they had crossed the Crimean Bridge, the prisoners moved a few steps forwards, halted and again moved on, and from all sides, vehicles and men crowded closer and closer together. They advanced the few hundred paces that separated the bridge from the Kaluga Road, taking more than an hour to do so, and came out upon 
the square, where the streets of the Transmoskva ward and the Kaluga road converge and the prisoners, jammed close together, had to stand for some hours at the crossway from all sides like the roar of the sea, where were heard the rattle of wheels and tramp of feet and incessant shouts of anger and abuse. Pierre stood pressed against the wall of the charred house, listening to that noise which mingled in his imagination with the roll of the drums. To get a better view, several officer prisoners climbed onto the wall of the half-burned house against which Pierre was leaning. What crowds! Just look at the crowds! They've loaded goods, even on the cannon. Look, there, those are furs, they exclaimed. Just see what the blackheads have looted. There, see what they have what that one has behind in the cart? Why, those are settings taken from some icons. By heaven? Oh, the rascals. See how that fellow has loaded himself up? He can hardly walk. Good lord, they've even grabbed those chases. See that fellow there, sitting on the trunks? Heavens, they're fighting. That's right, hit him, on the snout, on his snout. Like this, we shan't get away before evening. Look, look there. Why, that must be Napoleon's own. See what horses, and the monograms, like a crown. Like, it's like a portable house. That fellow's dropped his sack, and doesn't see it. Fighting again, a woman with a baby, and not bad looking either. Yes, I dare say, that's the way they'll let you pass. Just look, there's no end to it. Russian wenches, by heaven, so they are in carriages. See how comfortably they settle themselves. Again, as at the church in Karmovniki, a wave of general curiosity bore all the prisoners forward onto the road, and Pierre, thanks to his stature, saw over the heads of the others what so attracted their curiosity in three carriages involved along among the munition carts closely squeezed together sat women with rogued faces dressed in glaring colours who were shouting something in shrill voices. From the moment Pierre had recognised the appearance of the mysterious force, nothing had seemed to him strange or dreadful, neither the corpse smeared with soot for fun, nor these women hurrying away, nor the burned ruins of Moscow. All that he now witnessed scarcely made an impression on him, as if his soul, making ready for a hard struggle, refused to receive impressions that might weaken it. The women's vehicle vehicles drove by behind them came more carts soldiers wagons soldiers gun carriages carriages soldiers ammunition carts more soldiers and now and then women pierre did not see the people as individuals but saw their movements all these people and horses seemed driven forward by some invisible power during the hour pierre watched them they all came flowing from different streets with one and the same desire to get on quickly they all jostled one another, began to grow angry and to fight. White teeth gleamed, brows frowned. Ever the same words of abuse flew from side to side, and all the faces bore the same swaggeringly resolute and coldly cruel expression that had struck Pierre that morning on the corporal's face when the drums were beating. It was not till nearly evening that the officer commanding the escort collected his men and, his, and with shouts and quarrels forced his way in among the baggage trains, and the prisoners, hemmed in on all sides, emerged onto the Kaluga road. They marched very quickly, without resting, and halted only when the sun began to set. The baggage carts drew up close together, and the men began to prepare for their night's rest. They all appeared angry and dissatisfied, 
For a long time, oaths, angry shouts and fighting could be heard from all sides. A carriage that followed the escort ran into one of the carts and knocked a hole in it with its pole. Several soldiers ran toward the cart from different sides. Some beat the carriage horses on their heads, turning them aside. Others fought among themselves and Pierre saw that one German was badly wounded on the head by a sword. It seemed that all these men, now that they had stopped amid fields in the chill dusk of the autumn evening, experienced one and the same feeling of unpleasant awakening from the hurry and eagerness to push on that had seized them at the start. Once at a standstill, they all seemed to understand that they did not yet know where they were going, and that much that was painful and difficult awaited them. Much that was painful and difficult awaited them on this journey. During this halt, the escort treated the prisoners even worse than they had done at the start. It was here that the prisoners for the first time received horse flesh for their meat ration. From the officer down to the lowest soldier, they showed what seemed like personal spite against each of the prisoners in unexpected contrast to their former friendly relations. This spite increased still more on calling over the role of prisoners. It was found that in the bustle of leaving Moscow, one Russian soldier, who had pretended to suffer from colic, had escaped. Pierre saw a Frenchman beat a Russian soldier cruelly for straying too far from the road and heard his friend the captain reprimand and threaten to court-martial a non-commissioned officer on account of the escape of the Russian. To the non-commissioned officer's excuse that the prisoner was ill and could not walk, the officer replied that the order was to shoot those who lagged behind. Pierre felt that that fatal force which had crushed him during the executions, but which he had not felt during his imprisonment, now again controlled his existence. It was terrible, but he felt that in proportion to the efforts of that fatal force to crush him, <coughs> he grew and strengthened <coughs> in his soul a power of life independent of it. He ate his supper of buckwheat soup with horse flesh and chatted with his comrades. Neither Pierre nor any of the others spoke of what they had seen in Moscow <coughs> or of the roughness of their treatment by the French or of the order to shoot them which had been announced to them. As if in reaction against the worsening of their position, they all were particularly animated and gay. They spoke of personal reminiscences of amusing scenes they had witnessed during the campaign and avoided all talk of their present situation. The sun had set long since, bright stars shone out here and there on the, in the sky. A red glow as of a conflagration spread above the horizon from the rising moon, <coughs> Excuse me, and that vast red ball swayed strangely in the grey haze. It grew light, the evening was ending, but the night had not yet come. Pierre got up and left his new companions, crossing between the campfires to the other side of the road where he had been told the common soldier prisoners were stationed. He wanted to talk to them. On the road he was stopped by a French sentinel who ordered him back. Pierre turned back, not to his companions by the campfire, but to an unharnessed cart where there was nobody. Tucking his legs under him and drooping his head, he sat down on the cold ground <clears throat> by the wheel of the cart and remained motionless a long while, sunk in thought. Suddenly he burst out into a fit of his broad, good-natured laughter so loud that men from various sides turned with surprise to see what this strange and evidently solitary laughter could mean. 
Ha ha ha, laughed Pierre, and he said aloud to himself, The soldier did not let me pass. They took me and shut me up. They hold me captive. What? Me? Me? My immortal soul? Ha 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 ha. And he laughed till tears started in his eyes. A man got up and came to see what this queer big fellow was laughing at all by himself. Pierre stopped laughing, got up, went farther away from the inquisitive man and looked around him. The huge endless bivouac that had previously resounded with the crackling of campfires and the voices of many men had grown quiet. The red campfires were growing paler and dying down. High up in the light sky hung the full moon. Forests and fields beyond the camp, unseen before, were now visible in the distance, and farther still beyond those forests and fields, the bright, oscillating, limitless distance lured on to itself. Pierre glanced up at the sky and the twinkling stars in its faraway depths, and all that is me, all that is within me, and it is all I, thought Pierre. And they caught all that and put it into a shed boarded up with planks. He smiled and went and lay down to sleep beside his companions. Alright, there we go. Another chapter for you. Prisoner Pierre still hanging out. Hanging in. Hanging in there. Being a prisoner, etc. Cool. Alright, thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.